Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Thank you. Hello, survivors and strivers. I am so very honored today to have someone who embodies the definition of both. Terry Tucker has long been a man of accomplishment. He's been an NCAA Division College One basketball player, a Citadel cadet, a marketing executive. He was on a SWAT team hostage negotiator, a high school basketball coach, and so much more. And then something happened to a foot of his, but I'll let you him tell the story. And he did not stop his role as survivor and striver. He has simply pivoted and serves a lot of people going through some really hard times. So I am so very grateful that Terry is here. And Terry, welcome. And please tell us your story. Tell, tell us a little bit about your foot and, and then about your life and what, what's going on. Sure. Thank you, uh, Elizabeth, for having me on. It's uh, it's exciting to be here. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Um, I'll, I'll give you kind of the Reader's Digest version. I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. I'm the oldest of three boys. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And um, I moved home after that to find a job. This was, unfortunately, I'm old, long before the internet was was available. And I was all kind of set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. Fortunately, I found that first job, as you kind of alluded to, I was a a marketing executive in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the the hamburger chain. Okay. Uh, Unfortunately, I ended up living with my mom and dad for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my dad and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Um, You mentioned my professional career, so I won't go into that. Personally, my wife and I have been married for 27 years. We have one child, a daughter, who is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a lieutenant in the newly formed Space Force. Oh, my goodness. That's so exciting. It is. It is. I mean, but it's exciting for her because everything she does is top secret. You know, you talk to her and it's like, you know, how you doing? Good. How's work? I can't talk about it. Okay, goodbye. You know. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) So, yeah, so it's it's great having her, and we're very, very, very proud of her. Um, in terms of my cancer experience, so in 2012, I had this uh, callus break open on the bottom of my left foot, and I didn't think much of it because I was a high school basketball coach at the time, but after a couple of weeks, it didn't heal. I went to a podiatrist friend of mine, and he looked at it, and he did the normal, you know, I'll put pads in your shoes and all that kind of stuff. And after that didn't work, he took an x-ray and he said, you know, I think you got a little cyst in there. He said, I can cut it out. be no big deal. And he did. He cut it out and he showed it to me. And it was just a gelatin sack with white fat in it. And he's like, you know what? I've seen thousands of these. Right. No big deal. You know, I'll send it off to pathology. I'll put a couple stitches in. You'll be good. Good as new, you know, in two weeks. Well, that was the last good two weeks that I had. And I got a call from him and like I said, we were friends. So when he was having difficulty telling me what was going on, I started getting nervous. And eventually he said, you know, Terry, I've been practicing for 25 years and I've never seen this form of cancer. And you should go to MD Anderson, which is probably one of the, the best cancer hospitals in the United States, maybe in the world, and have this treated. 
Now, talk about being scared. You know, when, when your doctor tells you, I've never seen this form of cancer, that was pretty, pretty scary for me, pretty worrisome. Right. Um, so that was 2012. I went to MD Anderson, had two surgeries to remove it. I was put on a drug called interferon after that, um, which to me, it, it was just a nasty drug. Basically, it gave me flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took the drug for almost five years. So oh imagine goodness. having the flu every week for five years. Right. As soon as that stopped, the, the disease came back. Uh, that was 2017, 2018. I had my left foot amputated because of it. Came back in 2019, two more surgeries. Last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it shattered my shin bone. Oh. And um, I had all kinds of tests found out that basically my entire lower leg was full of cancer. So uh, right in the middle of a global pandemic, April of last year, had my left leg amputated, <clears throat> excuse me, above the knee. You know, my wife just dropped me off, said, you know, see ya, I can't be with you. Right. I was the only surgery that day. I was only in a hospital for 48 hours. Uh, and then I also found out I had tumors in my lungs and I am undergoing a clinical trial drug right now to try to address those. So okay. that was the Reader's Digest version. Sorry it was so long. but <laughs> how, are, how is that going, the clinical trial? For me, it's going actually fairly well. The, uh, the tumors have shrunk by, uh, and that was two weeks ago, by 31%. So oh, that's wonderful. Doctor's not talking about a cure, but he's certainly talking about buying me some significant more time. Wow, that's fantastic. It is. I mean, for somebody who's really, it seems like you've always had life by the tail before all of that in, in a lot of different ways. What was that like to just have everything? You cannot control it. You cannot uh, navigate this necessarily so easily. It's very, very difficult. And you're facing death. In other words, what is what has that been like? You know, I, I had a nurse once ask me, you know, what was it like to have your foot amputated and then have your leg amputated and stuff like that? And and, and I told her, I said, you know, y y I'm not going to tell you it was easy because it certainly wasn't, but I am much more than the sum of my parts. And, Correct. you know, cancer, I, I, I go back, there was a basketball coach who won a, an award on ESPN, Jim Valvano, who was dying of cancer. And I kind of agree with him. I didn't really understand when he did this many years ago, but he said, you know, Cancer can't touch my heart. It can't touch my soul. It can't touch my mind. And it can't. Right. You know, that, that's that's who I am. All this stuff, just window dressing. So right. you can cut off whatever you want to cut off and I'll figure out a way to to survive and, and keep coming. And, and, you know, until I die. And again, that's way above my pay grade. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about that. Right. Um, you know, it, it's it's it, it's like everything else. You know, you have good days and you bad have bad days. And, and we all have those bad days. We all have, you know, our girlfriend or boyfriend leaves us or, you know, we get a bad grade on a test or we lose a job. We all get down, but it's your choice whether to stay there or not. And, and I get down, but I don't let myself stay there. I make myself get up and keep going and keep moving forward. That is fantastic. That is really incredible. Are there, I bring this up because when, uh, Many years ago, I'm going to say more than a decade ago, maybe a decade ago, right about now, a close family friend who was 22 was dying of cancer. 
And he told me how lonely it was because nobody would allow him to talk. They would say, oh, no, 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 you're not going to die. I, don't talk about that. I can't, I can't hear that. You're too young. You're not going to die. Is it lonely sometimes if you wanted to talk about your experience of living with, because right now you're alive, you know, we're all alive until we're not. But if there are some times that you want to talk to someone, do you have those people? And what do you wish that people felt comfortable talking to you about? I do have those people. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have those right. people in my life. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't get, I, I get down, but I don't stay down very much. So I, I don't feel a, a great need very often to say, gee, I really got to unload what's going on here. Sure. I just deal with it. Um, so I guess I, a couple things, and, and you alluded to it earlier. I was, I was a hostage negotiator on, on a SWAT team in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, and, you know, when you're a policeman, most of, most of the time you're dealing with people face to face and you can read uh, visual clues. You know, if they're looking around, they might be ready to run or if they're balling their fists up, <clears throat> excuse me, they may be getting ready to fight you. You can see that. But as a negotiator, I wasn't with the person. So I had to try to figure out what was going on based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying and how they were saying it. And so I've been able to kind of use that, especially with people. And, and one thing we never did as negotiators is we never lied to people. You know, people would be like, you know, I'll come out if you promise me I'm not going to jail. I can't promise you that you're, you're right. going to jail when you come out. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's just common sense. So, <clears throat> But what I guess is important is. There's no question, as far as I'm concerned, that's out of bounds. You know, if, you, if you're looking at me and you're like, you know, you're probably going to be dead in a year. And, and that bothers you. And you want to say, hey, Terry, you know, it really kind of bothers me that you're going to be dead in a year. Okay, let's talk about that. The, the person I found, at least from my experience, the person who has the disease, the, they're looking to talk about it. So don't feel like, oh, you know, that's not going to, we're all going to die. Right. We're all going to die, but we're not all going to really live. And if, if that young man lived his whole life in 22 years, then he lived his whole life in 22 years and it's time to move on. Longevity doesn't mean you have a good life. You know, so I, I, I think it's important for people to be honest with people. And you know what? If you ask me a question and I don't want to talk about it, I'll tell you. Right. But there's never been a question anybody's asked me, including, you know, are you how do you feel about dying? that I don't want to talk about. I've been to the cemetery. I have all my funeral arrangements made. And some people have said, oh, that's defeatist. I'm like, it's not defeatist. Right. It's a gift to my family. Right. Oh, you know? goodness, yes. That is yeah. such a gift to your family. It's funny you should say that because I have written my obituary already. <laughs> and part of the reason I do that is because I wanted to, first of all, I know my daughters. It, <laughs> So I trust that they will say everything I never wanted them to in a public format. So I wrote my obituary, but really part of it is that it's a great way to clarify what you want to be known for and maybe some things you haven't done yet that are important to get on because nothing is guaranteed to any of us. So it sort of is a moment of just distilling your life and saying, hey, you know, Here's some important qualities. Here's some foibles. But, uh, oh, these things I wish I could write in my obituary. I better get on that. And uh, so I love that you've taken care of those details. That's a huge gift. There's absolutely nobody, even if you're single, don't have kids, whatever, that shouldn't have some details if you're an adult. 
in place to make it easy on people who survive you. So good for you. Good yeah. for you. But I mean, you are doing something that's just amazing. <clears throat> I love the title of your podcast. You've got a book, a website. So let's hear how you've been able to continue your striving journey and serving other people in the process of surviving cancer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I had my foot amputated, I, I was kind of really at a crossroads. I really didn't didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I mean, I literally, I would lay in bed at night, you know, while I was healing and I kind of look at the ceiling and be like, <clears throat> okay, God, what next? What, right. what, what do you want me to do? And, you know, I, I was kind of hoping that I'd get a direct answer, but you know, there's that old joke about, you know, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So <laughs> I was kind of glad I never, I never had that happen. Thank but goodness. I was, I was looking, you know, I was, what's next? And, and people were like, you should do a blog. And and I, I would look at him like, I, I can barely turn my cell phone on in the morning. What do you mean put a blog? I, I don't know that. And and literally, it took me four months to put together four pages. And But there was some satisfaction and there was some, at least I've got something to do. Right. So I put this site together called Motivational Check. And I got the, the name from when I was in the police academy. And when we were doing defensive tactics or physical fitness, and somebody was just they were dragging and they were tired and they were sore and they were hurting. They could just yell out motivational check. And the rest of us would respond with 84, which was our class number, just to let them know, hey, you're not alone. We're all oh, hurt. You know, I love that. Together. Yeah. So I, I thought this would be a great name. So I, every day I post a, a new thought for the day or a story or a video or something like that. But they're short because I know people are busy. And so it's just a quick shot, get some little inspiration, a little motivation, and then go on with your day. So that's how the blog came about. The book was a little more kind of precarious. I, I literally wrote the book between the time I had my leg amputated in April and the time I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June. So within this three-month period, I kind of sat down at the computer. And I always say, I wrote it, but I, I really believe it was inspired by God. You know, like, wow. I, just sit down here, be quiet, listen right. to what I'm telling you and write this down. And and I did. And But it was it was a book born out of two conversations. One was with a former player of mine who had moved to Colorado. And my wife and I had, had dinner with her. And, and I said to her, I said, gee, I'm really excited that you're living so close. I, you know, and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet. And she kind of looked at me and she said, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I don't know what your purpose is. That's what your life should be about. Your life should be about finding the reason you were put on this earth and then living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had another, I had a basketball player connect with me on LinkedIn who wanted to know what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not just be successful in business or in his job, but to be successful in life. Right. And I didn't want to give him the classic, you know, work hard, get up early, help others. And not that those aren't important. Those are extremely important. But I wanted to go deeper. And so I, I spent some time and eventually I had these kind of 10 ideas or 10 principles and I was comfortable with them and I sent them to them. And then I kind of stepped back and I thought, well, you know, I got a life story that fits under that principle, or I know somebody whose life, you know, could, could, could be part of this principle. And, and that's, so I sat down at the computer and started building stories underneath those principles. And that's oh, that how it's terrific. And how, so how long did it take? About three months to get most of it out? It took three months. And, and when I started writing, I kind of had two rules. I said, number one, I'm going to write at least one page every day. 
Wow. Okay. Except Sunday. I didn't I didn't run on Sunday. And number two, I'm not going to edit anything until I have at least the first draft. Smart. Okay. And, and those are the only two rules I gave myself. And there were days that I sat down and I wrote absolute garbage. I'm like, <laughs> I guess I'll never make it into a book. But then there were days where I'm like, yeah, that's a good story. Or, right. you know, that that worked out well. So, uh, you know, I, I don't don't limit yourself. Just just start writing if you want to write a book and see where it takes you. It took me two decades, but I'll try not to be mad at you. <laughs> I found none of it to be quick and easy. That is yeah, amazing. It's painful sometimes, as you know. It truly, truly is. And I was very fascinated when you and I spoke earlier about your publishing process, also because there are a million books published every year now, at least a million. And so it would be easy to write your book and look around and say, uh-oh, now what? But man, yours. You had some great connections, again, thanks to your, your the life that you've lived and the work that you've done. So please tell us a little bit. So, yeah. So, you know, I've got this book. Now, now what do I do with it? Right. And, you know, you could go the traditional publishing route with, route with trying to find an agent and sure. querying them and then seeing if they'll take you and, and on and on. And, but I had a friend who um, knew an individual who was a former uh, drug cop and was a police chief in Arizona, or excuse me, Louisiana. And one of his buddies said to him one day, said, hey, would you mind coming out to California and putting on a seminar for authors who want to incorporate police tactics into their books and not sound like they don't have any idea what they're doing? So he's like, yeah, sure. Well, he ends up going out there and meeting his wife, who is a best-selling fiction author. They get married. He ends up getting out of law enforcement, and they start a not-for-profit publishing company. So my friend put me in touch with him and we had several conversations and it just kind of clicked. And it it was pretty exciting for me because I I still know nothing about publishing, you know, but but when I when the book came out, I was all about, you know, I got to sell books. I got to sell books. I got to sell books. And I had an individual who I had connected with um, in the UK who was is a best selling business author. And he, he kind of came to me over the, the Internet and he's like, Terry, no, 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 you're missing the point. He said, your job is not to sell books. Your job is to help people. If you help people, your books will sell themselves. Wow. And I was so glad he said that to me. I needed to get hit in the face with that. Right. So I, I never wrote the book to make money or be famous. I wrote the book to try to help people. Right. And, and he he had me focus on that. And, and, and now it's you know what? If I sell books, I sell books. But it's more about helping people. That is fantastic. What a great guiding principle and really keeps an author out of that sense of insecurity and writhing and like, oh my gosh, I, I just want to be competitive with the other people and I want to do this or that. Your goal is to serve and to connect. And once you focus on that, the rest comes together. I think what a beautiful message that is. Absolutely. So, so do tell about the podcast because I love the title so much. Tell us about how you came into podcasting. So I, I, I don't have my own podcast. I just do guest appearances love on it. other people's podcasts. And and it has been an amazing journey for me. Because, oh, I love you know, that. As an as a motivational speaker, obviously during the pandemic, there were no groups getting together saying, "Hey, we're gonna you know have five hundred people here. Will you come and speak?" That that wasn't happening. So in order to kind of refine my message and, and help me in my delivery, I turned to podcasting, and I have been incredibly fortunate with. I mean, I, I've done podcasts with people literally all over the world, 
And it, it is, I, I have yet to meet somebody who I didn't like or wasn't genuine or wasn't caring. And it's just been a great experience for me to, to, to really use this forum. And, and I'll, I'll take this opportunity to thank you because it's people like you that give people like me a forum to get our message out. And between the two of us, hopefully we're going to make a difference in somebody, you know, in your audience that hears us. And, and that's really what it's all about right now. I love that. I just am so grateful that you would come on the podcast. It is, you know, podcasts are now called a writer's next book tour. I mean, they are a beautiful thing because this is content that will last for years and it and has the opportunity to inspire. But I think it's just so terrific. The energy that you bring to it and the story that you tell is so motivating. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I especially enjoyed the motivational check, the motivational check where you came up with that um, title. I think that that's absolutely fantastic. Are you in touch with some of your old SWAT team buddies? You know, I am. I I, I was. Uh, I actually did a podcast um, a couple weeks ago with a former uh, police officer in Canada, and he, unbeknownst to me, he had reached out to the public information officer at the Cincinnati Police Department where I was a policeman. And I, his name's Steve Saunders, and I knew Steve, uh, you know, when he was a patrolman, and now he's a lieutenant. And Steve got a group of people that that I either was in the academy with, or that were my supervisors, or something like that. And they all kind of got on the podcast interspersed with their own message of support. And I mean, oh. you want to see a grown man cry? I was crying like a baby. And, I and would love to get a link to that and put it in the show the notes. Out. That is absolutely beautiful. What a great, great service and gesture. I mean, and it says a lot about you that they show up for you in that way that they and are inspired by you. That is just you, you made an impact. Even then you were making an impact. So fantastic. Yeah, and, and you don't realize that. And, and, and if I could tell you a quick story, I, you know, I, I had a nurse who took care of me when I started on my my treatments. And she was very new to the unit and was with another nurse. And, and the two of them were were, were helping me. And fast forward several months, she was, she had gotten, you know, kind of off probation, so to speak, and was taking care of patients on her own. And she said, you know, I got a story for you. I, I'll come back and tell you later. And, and she comes back and she said, you know, when I met you, I was going to quit nursing. She said, I talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing. I was going to go to work for Amazon. I was just fed up. And she said, and then I met you and I heard your story and I saw what you went through. And she's like, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Um, now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that I had any kind of an impact on her life whatsoever. So, you know, I guess just be careful or be be cognizant of the fact that the way you live your life very well may be somebody, there may be somebody else watching you. How, right. you, how you respond to things, how you do things, you know, do you have character? Do you have integrity? And if you do, they may be wanting to emulate you and you may never even know that. So it can be a very powerful, very exciting time, you know, especially when somebody shares a story like that with you. Oh, that is terrific. I mean, yes, you never know what you are inspiring in someone else. It's also a good reminder if a person is inspired by another to tell them, to tell them, because a lot of times we we hold back and we might have good thoughts and 
and be wowed by someone, but it's important to let them know. It, it's this amazing mutual energy that goes back and forth. She told you that's kind of recharges your batteries, but it's also very good for her to have been with you and also and life changing. So, what a great message that is. Yeah, it was, so, a great, it was a great story. Yes. Oh, I do like that. Now, your book is titled. Could you say the title again? Sure. It's called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And now what are you writing? So I, I'm kind of writing Sustainable Excellence too. I'm, I'm more compiling it than I am writing it at this point in time. And I'm, I'm I, and I, you and I had spoken earlier and, and Sustainable Excellence, I think, is about success, about our ways to to be successful, ways for us to individually be successful. And I've thought about it over over the you know several months that it's been out. And I and I really kind of think I sort of missed the mark on it. Not that it's not a good book, but that it's I think the second one is going to be more about instead of success, another S word, significance. Right. That significance is what we do for others. And I and I talked to you earlier about this about I think you can be both. I think you can be successful and also significant in the lives of other people. But I think it's more important for each of us to be significant, you know, in, in somebody else's life. So I, I'm, I'm trying to take that tack to to be less less about success and more about significance. Terrific. And I think those two go hand in hand. So I, it's wonderful that you have the first book out, but I look forward to the next one. Where do you want people to be able to find you? Where's the easiest place that we can find you and get a hold of what you're writing next, your blog, or what podcast you're going to be on? And I'm sorry if I misspoke earlier saying oh, you that's okay. But okay. No, that's fine. So, so the, the easiest way to get in touch with me or to find out what's going on is through Motivational Check. Dot com that that has all my social media sites on it it has a link to to the book on Amazon but you can get the book basically on Amazon barnesandnoble.com Apple iBooks any place online that you can order a book you can order sustainable excellence but if you want to if you want to send me an email directly motivational check at aol.com fantastic I am so very grateful to have met you to, for us to have this conversation and when the next book comes, Let's get in touch again. Absolutely. Come back. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This was a blast. I appreciate it. Take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.